0: If you build a house, you have to build a house in a certain order. this, This is all common sense. That's why I think this series is going to hit us all in a fantastic way, because it's all common sense. It's not like spiritual sense. It's just common sense, because God is common sense. And when you build a house, you do not put a roof on When you build a house, you don't put windows in first. You do not order the carpet when you build a house and have that show up on day one and put it up in the woods. When you build a house, you lay a foundation. You grade the lot. You move a lot of dirt around. You dig a sufficient hole. You pour concrete. You get footings in. And once you have a sufficient, stable foundation, then you're ready to continue the building of your house. And last week, we talked all about the foundation. If you miss that, I'm not kidding you, you will not do good just to jump in here without concern for what we've already laid in this series as a foundation. You have to go back and catch up. The talks are easy to get a hold of. The two main ideas, heaven has a plan for you. Heaven has a plan for you. It's not a today plan, tomorrow plan, a six-day plan. It is a long-range plan that you will become the man that God is dreaming that you will be, that you'll move through boyhood, adolescence, crazy 20s, I'm 30 and I got some cash and can do what I want and that you will grow up and become a man who the generations want to be like. That your grandchildren want to be a man like you. That you'll grow up and become a woman that the generations look up to and say, if I could pick one person I want to be like in this life, it would be like her. I want the kind of character, the kind of heart, the kind of world view, the kind of impact That she has. And that's God's plan for you. His plan for you is not that you will stall out somewhere along the way and live your whole life in Christian adolescence, but that you will become a fully built, fully functioning, shade-bearing, seed-sowing, harvest-reaping man or woman, not just today, but for the generations and the generations after that. And he sees the plan in the picture And he knows how he's going to do it. He just needs us tonight to say, look, I I want you to build my house. I want you to build my life. And I'm going to let you be the general contractor of me. I'm going to take off that hat. And I'm going to let you be in charge of making me into the person that you want me to be. And that's the foundation. That's where it begins. And there's a lot of work that has to be done there. And some of you may be stuck in that foundation for a day or a week or a month or most of the spring. You may be in foundation work for all of 2015. And if you are, don't despise the inglorious necessity of building the kind of foundation that is stable enough, solid enough, and sure enough that God can build on it a you, which is a life stands the test of time. And just so you know, we talked about it last week, um, life for us isn't a metaphor for getting a house. That's kind of like the American dream. You grow up, your parents finally send you off to college or to career training, or you get a job and you finally move out of the house and you move into an apartment or a dorm or a condo and you got seven roommates, but that's fine because you're poor. And then you kind of upgrade to just four roommates. You've, some of you done that. And then just two roommates. And then the thing where you got your own room, and that's amazing. And then you got your own room and your own bathroom. Woo-hoo! Hello! You know, God is good. And then eventually you meet somebody and you get another apartment and you live together as a married couple. And then you get a condo maybe or maybe you get a starter house or, you know, maybe you rent a house or lease a house. And then eventually you own a house. And when you own a house, people, you have done the deal. See, for us, a lot of times the life is a metaphor for Getting a house, or getting a house is a metaphor for life. And what we're trying to do is flip that upside down and say, get a house. If you want to get a house, that's fine. That's okay. Get a house. Get a good house, though, on a good foundation if you get one. But what we're trying to say is the house is a metaphor for life. How you build a house is how you build a life. And if we can see that picture in our minds, it will become practical for all of us. So the foundation's laid. Let's just say that's happened. The very next thing in the building process is that the framing now can begin. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say framing a house? They built a house next to you. That's when all the hammers started going off at 7 o'clock in the morning. Does anybody ever remember that time? It's like 7 a.m., bam, 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 kabam, kabam, bam, bam. And that goes on for several weeks because the framers show up and the lumber shows up and the house begins to take shape. And instantly, almost amazingly, it starts coming up out of the ground on that foundation. Because foundation work may be months. But man, when you're ready for the framers to arrive, stuff happens in a hurry. And that house is then built little by little, piece by piece, into the structure that will stand the test of time. And something like this appears on the job site. Uh, Something like this palette right here. And anybody know what this is, by the way? This is a palette of wood. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Uh, That's true. Um, What specifically do we know about this wood that is right here? It's two by fours. How many of you knew that already? How many of you did not know that and never heard that term before? Okay, that's good to know. Awesome. That's amazing to me. Um, It is a palette of two by fours. They look like this. Any builders here? Anybody in the construction business here? Uh, somebody went, yeah, no, no, I'm not sure, I'm not, I don't know. No, no, I'm not, uh, that was weird, that was really weird. Uh, <laughs> anybody in the, like, building or construction business here? Y- yes, yes, okay, so it's a two-by-four, uh, two, why do they call it a two-by-four, by the way? Two inches by four inches. Anybody in the construction business can tell us it's not two inches by four inches, it's I've gotten two answers today. I've gotten one and three quarters and one and a half. One and a half by three and a half. They're selling you a two by four that ain't even two by four. (laughs) They're making a half and a half off of you on every two by four you buy. This is America, is it not? So it's not even two inches by four inches. It's really an inch and a half by three and a half inches. But I don't care if you're building a 9,000 square foot house in a gated community or whether you're renovating a house in Inman Park or whether you're building a four-story apartment complex that's got shops on the bottom. There are two-by-fours in the story. Yes, there are two-by-sixes in the story. There might be some two-by-tens in the story. You might make some joists out of those. There'll be some plywood that shows up or some composite board. But a lot of the work is done by individual pieces that in and of themselves, you don't think, you know what, I want to live in that. But it is a lot of these carefully placed together that builds the infrastructure of a house. Of every house, of your house, your house, unless you're living in some newfangled, you're cool, and you live in a loft that used to be a warehouse, everybody else in here has got two-by-fours in your house right now. And you're living and breathing and showering and and eating because of two-by-fours building the structure of your house. A lot of individual components making up the whole of your house. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, because as we lay this foundation, which is Jesus and We lay solidly on the person of Christ. We then begin to build a life. And the way we build a life is the same way you build a house. You build it with little components that are fastened together in a sustainable manner. You don't just turn the page in a magazine and say, ooh, that's the kind of house I want. Rip the page out of the magazine and move in tomorrow. You've got to take a few more steps than that. And you don't just dream up one day, this is the kind of person I want to be, and then just tear that out of the annals of history, and all of a sudden one day you're a brand new kind of person. Lives are built little by little with small components that are linked together in hopefully sustainable ways. And I want to tell you what some of the components are that build our lives tonight because we need to know that. And I don't know if you've thought about it, but what builds you? What builds your life? Here's some of the components. Number one, your thoughts are the two by fours that build your life. I don't know if you were thinking about that. You're like, I don't really know what builds a life. You know, all of a sudden I'm 50 years old. How did I get to the place I'm at at 50 years old? By the way you think. That's how. Because every thought that we think is a two by four. And it goes into the building of the house. The way that you think about you goes into the building of the house. The way that you think about how much you're worth goes into the building of the house. The way that you think about life, think about your neighbor, think about your family, think about your occupation, think about your time on earth. All those thoughts build up a life or build up a house. The second thing that builds a house are our relationships. So our lives, long term, are the product, I know you're going to push back on this, but think about it, our lives long term, when we're 30, 40, 50, and 60 years old, are the byproduct of the relationships that we've cultivated on earth. So if you don't like the people you're hanging around with, you need to make some changes today because you're going to become like the people you're hanging around with because your relationships are two by fours going into the person that you're becoming right now. That's why it's so important who you're dating. Because last time I checked, we marry who we date. It's a very rare occasion that you meet somebody married and say, well, what is y'all's story? I don't know. We were at Kroger, and the next thing I know, we were married. (laughs) I I bumped into her buggy, and then we got married, and now we have a family, and we've been living, you know, over here in our house. No. Well, we met, and then we dated and then we got married and I'm telling you nothing outside of Jesus is going to shape your destiny as much as the people you choose to do your life with. So who you hang out with? Who are the recents in your phone that you don't even have to know their numbers? You just go into recents and hit call again because it's the people you talk to. Who is your Facebook posse? Who are, who's your crew? Who do you hang out with after work? Who do you go and, and, and chill with on the weekends? Whoever those people are, guess what? They're the voices that you hear. They're, they're, the, they're the people that you, you, you imitate the most or try not to imitate and end up imitating the most. And that's why scripture speaks right into that. It says, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. So you can say, I want this kind of life. You can surround yourself with these kind of friends. And all of a sudden, guess what? You're going to end up with this kind of life. It also says, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So deep down in your heart, you may be saying right now, I want to be this kind of woman. I really do want to be this kind of woman. But you're hanging out with fools right now, and guess what? You're going to suffer harm, and your house isn't going to get built the way God wants it to be built. Because our thoughts and our relationships are the two-by-fours that frame our lives. A third thing that frames our lives is our habits and patterns. People say all the time, I want to be be this kind of person when I get older, but yet I'm still stuck in these kind of patterns right now. Guess what? You're going to be the kind of person when you get older that reflects a bigger version of the patterns that you are living in right now. There's no magic. There is no opt-out clause. And so whatever your habits are, are the the framework for the life that you're going to get. Now, how does that thing go? It says, sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a life. And so, if you don't like the patterns and the habits and you don't want that to be your future, then you got to change the patterns and the habits and get some new two by fours in the mix. The, the fourth thing is time. We all think it's ours to do with as we want, but time is one of the essential building blocks of our person. So how we choose to invest and spend our time is a major, major deal. We can't just fall into the trap of being, you know, Netflix junkies all of our life. I'm I'm not knocking Netflix. It's a beautiful gift from uh, the enemy. Um, But uh, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. Um, But has anyone been in the Netflix abyss, by the way? You know what I'm talking about? Has anybody been in there? Who knows what the Netflix abyss is without me explaining it? How many of you need a little more explanation because you're not sure we have cable, but do we have Netflix? I'm not sure, honey. Um, The Netflix abyss works like this. What Netflix has done is put everything at at our disposal instantly. So every show that's on, everything that's ever been on, everything that might ever be on is right there right now if we want it. And so what happens, so sometimes you start out, like, say, at 10.30 on a Saturday, you wake up, and you, you rock in there and turn on Netflix and decide, oh, I think I'm gonna catch up on the season four of whatever, you know? And so you start episode one at 10.30 on Saturday morning, and the next thing you know, this is the abyss, it's four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, And you're still in the same clothes you had on at 10.30 Saturday morning. You haven't showered or eaten or fed your children, but you have watched seven seasons of Scandal. (laughs) I'm just looking. Just checking. That's the abyss. And I say that just because we can all laugh together because some version of that we've all fallen into. I mean, for some of you, it was Xbox or whatever your video a platform of choice is. And, you know, you went in at 2 o'clock, and before you knew it, it was midnight, and somebody's beating down the door saying, hey, you got to turn that off and go to bed. It's, 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 it's our misunderstanding of the fact that our time is a gift from God, and every hour is a two-by-four. Every day is a piece of lumber. And at the end of a month, guess what? You become somebody. You don't just spend that time. That time is spent building you. And you become whatever that time is invested in. The last of these two by fours is our money. We talked about it in the giving earlier. And I know a lot of people think, hey, I don't want to talk about money. But money is the thing that drives the world. I don't care if you're in high school or if you're in college or if you're 20s, 30s, 50s, 60s, or 80s. Money is a big deal. Because you've got to have money to make the world go around, and everybody needs money because gas isn't free, and cars aren't free, and school's not free, and electricity's not free, and a place to live isn't free, and nothing's free in this planet except a water bottle that I gave you, and you, you can keep that, you know? Um, if, but if you don't drink it, give it back um, at the end of the deal. But, but, but our money is a two-by-four. And the way we spend it and how we understand it and the way we invest it, guess what? It determines us. It determines us. Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because money changes us. And at times, if we don't let God have his way in us, can change us into somebody we never really wanted to be. And definitely not the person that God wanted us to be. And so when we talk about framing a life, we're not going to talk about real super spiritual terms. We're going to talk about the practicalities of how do you think? Who do you hang with? What are the patterns and habits of your life? How do I invest my time? And what do I think about my money? Because those things are going to build my house. And so the question for everybody tonight is simply this question, what is informing those things in your life—who's controlling your thoughts? Who's controlling your relationships? Who's controlling your habits and your patterns, your time and your money? What is informing the materials by which you build those things? Is it your preferences, and you're just one of those people saying, "Hey, I do what I want with my money." I Do what I want with my time. I think what I want to think about what I want to think about. I hang with the people I want to hang with. Thank you very much because it's my life and I do what I want. So you're then deciding which two by fours you're going to use to build your house. Maybe it's your preference. Maybe it's just your desire. We all got desires. Trust me. And so maybe just the desires of the flesh and the desires of the heart have taken over and those desires dictate who you hang out with. Those desires dictate what kind of relationships you have and dictate what kind of thoughts you think. It's just our desires at work in our hearts. For a lot of us, it's just simply my thinking. And people say this all the time. They say, you know what? It's my life. I'll figure it out. I'll think it through. And a lot of us are crazy enough to think that we are smart enough to figure out how to build a life that stands the test time and you said well, what's informing all of your two by fours and two by sixes and floor joists and who, who's who's informing all that i am i'm deciding what's best for me or, or another option for us would be i'm letting everybody else decide that because i just do what everybody else thinks i should do and think what everybody else thinks i should think and hang out with whoever everybody else thinks i should hang out with And I have the same habits and patterns that everybody else thinks I should have. And I spend my time the way everybody else thinks I should spend my time. And I do with my money what everybody else thinks I'm supposed to do with my time. And I'm telling you, the only way to build a sustainable house for you and for me is if we let truth inform those building blocks of our lives. If we let truth inform the building blocks of our life, every sustainable structure is built well because of one common ingredient. If it's the shard in London, or if it's Weston Peachtree Plaza in downtown, if it's a house on the cul-de-sac in your neighborhood, the common ingredient is truth. At some point, there has to be truth for a building or a house to be built. And there has to be truth for a life to be built as well. In the old days, and even in some ways now, it's called a plumb line. And so we would put a a string up in a high place. We would drop it down with a weight on the bottom. Gravity being constant as it is would hold that straight. And a brick mason would bring the bricks to the corner of the house, right to the edge of that line. And whether it was a story or five stories or 10 stories, the edge of the bricks would be completely straight all the way from top to the bottom because there was a reference point we, we've changed that out. A lot of carpenters have a level. They have one of these. Has anybody got one of these at the house? This is a carpenter's level. Anybody ever used one of these before? It's, it's nerve-wracking because, you know, the idea is kind of like a video game, is that you've got to get that little bubble exactly in between those two lines. Has anybody done this before? And you're like, okay, good, no, okay, hang, oh, no, too much, too much, too much. And you've got a friend over there with a hammer, and you're just saying, when I give you the word, you just start hammering like a madman. <laughs> it's hard. But if somebody builds your house, you want them to have one of these because they're putting a window frame in and somebody's holding this up and they're making sure everything's square, putting a door frame in. And this level is telling them when things are straight because you can't build a sustainable building without straight. Now, it can be asymmetrical and creative and architecturally inspiring and have a lot of this and that and the other. But somewhere inside of all that asymmetrical architectural design is a straight line somewhere. Because until it's straight, you cannot build. We've, we've, we've got now these laser-sided things, so we hang pictures by putting the stick in the thing on the wall, and a little red line goes across the room, and we know, okay, that's straight. We use GPS to to grade land and and get lots all in the way that we want them to be. But all of that is based on a reference point. It's based on truth. And what I want to say tonight, what we want to say in this series is tonight, if you're going to put the two-by-fours of your thoughts and your relationships and your patterns and habits and time and money into the right sequence and connect them in a sustainable way, you're going to have to have straight lines in there. There's going to have to be truth in the equation And tonight we want to define that truth because truth defines itself. And we want to define that truth as Jesus unfolded in the pages of Scripture. That this is still the level straight making mechanism for our thinking, our relationships, our patterns, our habits, our time, our money, our lives. This truth of God is the way we successfully build the frame of the house that God wants us to become In this lifetime and in the life to come. And I know that, you know, for a lot of us in the room tonight, we're like, amen, I got it. I'm already there. I know the Bible's true and all that stuff's true. And we got to live by the truth. And I get it. truth sets you free. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Yahoo! Okay, I know all that. There are other people in the room right now going, I don't know if I believe that's true. I don't even know if I believe anything's true. I mean, how do you know what's true? Maybe that's true for you, and that's great. I love your level, Louie. That's fantastic, and I hope it works for you, and I hope your house is a slam dunk. But for me, I don't like orange, and I, I don't like levels. And that's the world we live in. And what I want to do just for one second is back up a step and recover the idea that for the most part, all people believe in truth. You're like, oh, that's a big statement. That's a big philosophical umbrella to put everybody in. But for the most part, everybody believes that somewhere there is something that is true. I never saw this more than just recently in one of the most amazing films that um, has come out in our nation that I'm aware of. And that's the movie Selma. I don't know if anyone saw that movie or not. Anybody see the movie Selma? Can I see a show of hands? This has been so depressing today. Um, Can we just see the other side of it? I have not seen Selma yet hands, like that's about what it's been all day today. 90% haven't seen it yet. About 10% have seen it. Can I just not lose my mind right now and just say as a pastor to you, please go see Selma. You're like, oh, I already know what happened. Well, fantastic. How many times have you watched like, you know, your favorite movie? Nine I already know the history. It's great history. Our nation went through a troubling time, but we all came through it together, and we're all over that, aren't we? So I don't need to see that. Please go see Selma, because in the movie Selma, as you know, there's a march going on for civil rights from Selma to Montgomery. And as the marchers come across a bridge at the beginning of this march, they're met with more brutal violence and hatred, and it just repulses everything good about any decent person. And you just have to sit in there and go, this is us. This is our nation. This is 1965. And this is what Americans were thinking about each other in this moment. But then justice breaks through. And at the end of the movie, there's great rejoicing. So there's everything that repulses us and everything that makes us rejoice in this movie. And it's something we've got to lean into as a people together and recognize that if we're going to live together, go forward together, be a great nation together. We've got to have our eyes open to the reality of Selma. And the fact that people are still alive that we're there. And that we're all in the wake of what happened in those days. So that's Selma. Go see Selma. I mean, I I thought all day today, and I don't think we can do it, but we should just show it here. And I know some of you, we should not show a movie at church. Well, 90% of the people here haven't seen it. I'm thinking they're not going to go see it. You really got to go see Selma and breathe that in. And what I loved about it is that it's being celebrated. Golden Globes, Selma nominated everywhere. Hollywood loved some Selma. Oprah loves Selma. She's in it. And she's amazing in it. Tonight, Oscars will nominate Selma. And what they celebrate when they celebrate Selma is that there is something called truth. Because the best I can tell, the spokesman of the civil rights movement was born in our town. And the mouthpiece God chose is named Martin Luther King Jr. And the fulcrum of his heart was that his truth is marching on. They crossed that bridge, those marchers, and they marched to Montgomery. And a few days after, on the 25th of March, 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech In the heart of Montgomery, in the end of that speech, I want you to see today, because I want us to know that truth is a reality in this world. This is what Martin Luther King brought at the end of this speech.
1: I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, Yes, However frustrating the hour, it will not be long. Because truth crushed earth will rise again. Yes, sir. sir. How long? Not long. Yes, sir. Because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. sir. How long? Not long. How long? Because you shall reap what you sow. Yes, Yes, how long? True forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yes, that scaffold sways the future. Yes, Behind the dim unknown Standeth God within the shadow Keeping watch above his own How long? Not long yes, Because the arc of the moral universe Is long But it bends toward justice yes, sir. Yes, sir. How long? Not, not long, not long. Yes, Because mine eyes Have seen the glory Of the coming of the Lord yes, He's trampling out the vintage Where the grapes of wrath are stored yes, yes. He's loosed the faithful lightning Of his terrible twist Sword, his truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah.
0: I love it for the history of our nation and the justice of our people and equality, for things like voting rights and dignity, but I also love that it is a picture that what we celebrate in Selma is that there is truth that is moving us all forward. It is His truth, so I echo Dr. King in saying glory Hallelujah. His truth is marching on. You say, yeah, I love that. It's in the Battle Hymn of the Republic. That's where that all came from. No, Scripture is where that all came from. That is all rooted in the unchanging Word of God, which is the truth of God, not just stories, not just history, but it is God's unfolding heartbeat for all people. And as we rally around it, it does something phenomenal in our life. I love the way the Proverbs writer wrote this in Proverbs 24, verse 3. He said, By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And what the Proverbs writer is speaking of is not just sort of ad hoc Wisdom, the Proverbs writer, is woven into the fabric of God's story. And he is saying, this writer, that God's wisdom builds a house. That God's knowledge will fill its rooms. And that God's understanding will bring the best possible things to bear in your life. This is God's truth. And it is marching on and you can inform your two by fours and two by sixes with your own thinking with what other people are thinking with your own desires with your own preferences or you can say you know what i need straight and i don't even know where straight is but i need straight in my life and that's the promise of the word of god i love the way the psalmist said it in psalm 19 listen to the promise of the word of god psalm Nineteen, beginning in verse 7. People say all the time, oh, you're just a, a Bible-thumping preacher man trying to control people's lives uh, with the Bible. And I want to say, "Hey, i I'm not a Bible-thumper. Uh, I hope I'm not a thumper. Uh, but if I am a thumper, I'm a Scripture-thumper because I like to call it the Holy Scriptures. And I've said that before. Please don't fire me. But the Bible never calls itself the Bible. Therefore, I choose to not call it the Bible. I still do sometimes because I grew up in a church where it was called the Bible all the time. But do you know the Bible's not in the Bible? So that's just a little footnote for you to think about before you go to sleep tonight. It never says the Bible in the Bible. Then why is it called the Bible? Because when the Bible was collated and put together, woven in history by God's own hand, this inspired word, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, 66 books, makes a biblos, or a library, or a collection of books, and then it was decided it will be called the biblos, the biblica, the Bible collection of books. What the Scripture calls itself the Holy Scriptures, and therefore, I love that, so I'll often. Say say here, if you have your scriptures, please turn to Psalms or to Proverbs or to Mark or to Romans. You say, why do you do that? Because that's what it calls itself. So I'm not a Bible thumper because I don't even believe in the Bible. I believe in the Holy Scriptures. And I don't want to be a Holy Scriptures thumper, even though my Holy Scriptures do say Holy Bible. But that's kind of wearing off slowly. I didn't make it wear off. It's just wearing off. That's God's will that that's happening. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Please don't take that too seriously. Call it the Bible if you want to. That's fine. That's what it's called. But it calls itself the Holy Scriptures. I don't want to be a Holy Scripture thumper, but I do want to stand up for the validity of truth and for the fact that this scripture says about itself that it is not truth to control our lives, but truth to liberate our lives. God, through His Word, isn't trying to make your life smaller. He's trying to make your life bigger. He's not trying to make you end up with less in life. He's trying to make you end up with a fuller life. God has nothing at stake of controlling your life or limiting your life or making your life miserable. God is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. You popped out on day one a miracle of God. And how did you get there? Because God, through DNA, X's and Y's, through genetic materials, through mystery and miracle was weaving you together for nine months in your mother's womb and the day that you came out crying and and breathing and joining, you know, the, the world, God in that moment was the one who had birthed you to life and gave you the first breath that you take and the breath that you just took all were gifts from God. So why would he want to limit your life? The God who knit you together in your mother's womb to give you life. His plans for you are good, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future, that you would call on the Lord and find him, that you would seek the Lord and discover that he is not far you from you, and that in him you would find life and peace and purpose and meaning and beauty and power and truth, and that you would be liberated from the things that bind you, that you would feel like you could soar above the things that are coming against you, that you would feel like you can be victorious in the things that are trying to defeat you, and that you can grow into the kind of oak of a man or the oak of a woman that when the winds blow and the floods rise and the storms come, that your life is still radiant and beautiful and shining. And standing at the end of time. God's got no business. He's God on a heavenly throne. He's not interested in trying to control and manipulate and ruin and regulate your life. He sent his son in the world that you might live through him. And he's paid an ultimate price that you might be free from sin, death, hell, and the grave, and yourself and your own selfish ways and that you might have your eyes opened and awakened to the beauty of who he is and the reality of what it means to live life to the full. And he's doing it through the breath on the pages of this divinely inspired word of God. And people say about it, it's antiquated. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, outdated. It's historically, you know, jaded. And it doesn't in any way bear any resemblance to the real world we live in. Uh, trust me, if you understand that it is the history of people over thousands of years. Yes, there's some janky stuff that happens in the Old Testament because this is the history of God's people over thousands of years. Your family's history over two decades has got janky stuff in it. So you would understand why the history of God's people would have some ups and downs and some weird things go on in that history. But what is this story about? It's the story of a God who comes into a broken world, who works through a broken world, who weaves salvation and freedom and justice and life and light in and through the whole story from beginning to end. It's just God wanting to liberate people Wanting to save people Wanting to rescue people And bring people into the truth And when you see it all You read it all You understand it all You see that this doesn't limit life This gives life And you don't have to use its level truth To build your house You don't have to use its straight paths To build your house But if you want a house that stands the test of time You better find something straight You gotta find something level and what is it that you're going to call level in your world? The promise of this word, this is what it's promising you today. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. So here's the first thing it's going to do. It's going to revive the soul. Who wants a revived soul in the house tonight? Who needs their soul to be revived in this house tonight? Another translation says the law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. I immediately thought of my computer when it bogs down, starts working slowly, gets all you know, clogged up. What do you do? You restart. And what happens, it shuts down all the applications, it empties your cache, and it refreshes everything, reboots. And hello, it seems like your internet works better at your house. Why? Because you've refreshed all the systems, and this word revives and refreshes the human soul. It kind of clears out the clutter and reboots us to function and operate at a more optimal level. And what can do that for the soul of a human being? What can do that for the soul of a person, a man or a woman? And God says, this word can, this word going in can refresh and revive the soul. Wow, it's a pretty good promise, right? It doesn't sound like control to me. It sounds like liberation to me. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. If you want to be the smartest guy in the room, the smartest woman in, in, on the block, how do you do that? Well, become an expert at whatever it is that you do. Study hard to become the best at whatever it is that you do. But also add to that the living word of God, and even the simple will become wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. So something can make the heart glad again. And there are a lot of sad hearts in this room right now. And another drink ain't going to make them happy again. Another relationship is not going to make them happy again. Spending money on another thing is not going to make them happy again. Being defiant and hurting somebody is not going to make them happy again. Going and blowing your integrity on another weekend is not going to make them happy again. There are sad hearts in the house today. And the thing that makes sad hearts happy is the living water of the word of God, who is the person of Jesus on these pages right here. The commands of the Lord are radiant and they give light to the eyes. So, so far we got four promises. You get a revived soul, you get a wise mind, you get a joyful heart, and you get enlightened eyes from sinking your life into the truth and the straight path, the level ways of this living Word of God, which is Jesus Himself. The very passage Martin Luther King quoted Revelation 19, and it says, He will come on a white horse at the end of the day. His name will be faithful and true. He will be wearing a robe dipped in blood, and he will have a name on him that no one has has ever known his head will be crowned with many crowns he will have a sword in his hand he is it says in Romans 19 the word of god and then it says about Jesus written on his thigh and on his robe is this inscription king of kings and lord of lords it's not principles precepts stories history it's Jesus who is the truth and Jesus who emerges from the truth To speak into everything about our lives. There's nothing you're dealing with. Not one thing you're dealing with that Jesus doesn't speak into through the pages of this book. It is not antiquated. There's no deal you're working on too complicated for Jesus not to speak to you through the simple principles that make people wise in this book right here. There's no relationship issue that you are trying to solve that God hasn't already clearly spoken to through the pages of this book and this truth right here. There's no job decision. There's no life decision. There's no fear, anxiety, trouble, stress, strain, Affliction that you are walking through that God isn't speaking to in the pages of this book. It is more relevant than relevant. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever because He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you live a hundred years, it'll still be speaking to you. If you live a thousand years, it'll still be speaking to you because it's always been speaking to people ever since God breathed the words on the page. And the promise is, this is the thing that revives the soul. This is the truth that makes wise the mind. This is the truth that brings joy to the heart. And this is the truth that opens our eyes. That's why this text says, it's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. And in keeping it, your servant, God, is warned. And there is, in keeping it, great Reward, And you know what the reward is? The reward is a house that's straight, that's built, that's true and level. So this is a two-parter. We're going to talk about how to get into the Word next week. But tonight we'll close by just asking this question. Are you willing to, even in this moment, let the general contractor begin to dictate your thoughts? Hello? So that if any thought comes in your mind, you say, well, where did that thought come from? Well, that thought came from my neighbor. Well, how smart is your neighbor? Well, I don't know. She just always tells me what to do. Well, great. Is your neighbor like level? No, not really. She's kind of unstable. She's on her third marriage and she's a semi-alcoholic and she's got some rage issues. And yeah, but you know, she always gives me good advice. And um, a thought comes in your mind, what are you going to do? You know what the scripture says? It says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know what that means? It means let's, let's get the truth of God's word on that thought. And if that thought's over here, hey, you know you're not really worth that much. Some of you are thinking that. Because that's what your dad told you. That's what your last girlfriend told you. That's what you've believed all your life. You know, you're not really worth that much. You put God's word on that, you're like, "Mm, it ain't looking good. Uh, that's, That's what I ought to be thinking. I ought to be thinking that I'm prized by God, that I'm loved by God. That's what God thinks. That's what truth is. I'm a unique and precious creation. God has a purpose and a plan for me I'm not the tail but I'm the head I'm not just a sinner God has made me a saint I'm not the scum of the earth, I'm actually a loved son or daughter of God I'm not a failure well I was in my own strength but praise God God is giving me his strength and I will succeed and my life will move on because God has a purpose and a plan for me and that's the kind of thoughts I'm going to think today and that's the kind of thoughts I'm going to build my house today with. I'm going to build my house with straight thoughts that are leveled by the truth that never changes. It's that simple. It's no spiritual dust. Let <laughs> me you change your life tonight? Or I'm going to sprinkle some spiritual dust over you, and your whole life's going to change right here, right now. But you've got to get the crooked boards out and put the straight boards in. And the only way you can do that is not by citing it with your own understanding, but by measuring it by God's unchanging truth. Because this is freedom, and this is how houses are built. And God has a way, doesn't He, of just getting right underneath the skin fast. And some of you already know where adjustments are coming for you, right here, right now. You know, some of your relationships, not good. And God is wanting to put truth on that relationship and say, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's not your guy, because we're not just going to go out with who's available. like, God, you know I haven't been on a date since 2009, right? And you know, Jojo's been asking me pretty much since 2010. And I'm going to go with it. And God's like, don't go with it. He's not your guy. Well, how do you know he's not my guy? Because he's not building with this. And so if you put in straight boards and he's putting in crooked boards and y'all would never even have a good relationship much less build good lives together he's not your guy the crew that you've been running with they're not your crew we always put a caveat around that and say we know we don't want to lose all our friends and we do want to reach the world for christ look let's just save all that tonight some of you got to exchange your crew today right here right now today you're just like goodbye to this crew i need a new crew because I'm gonna let the truth of God define the kind of relationships I need. Because it's not just hanging out with people, it's actually building my character and my life. And I'm not building with the right people. And the people I'm around aren't building the right me. And there's gotta be changes. Patterns, changes. Habits, changes. The way I'm thinking about time, I am so messed up on that. I am wasting my whole life thinking I'm going to become the person I want to become. Not realizing I'm going to become a wasted person because I'm wasting my life. So God, you be the general contractor. God, I just want to affirm again tonight, anybody, that I love your word. I don't think it's against me. I actually think it's for me. I don't think it's trying to restrict me. I actually think it's trying to liberate me. And that's probably why the enemy has kept me away from it as much as he has. And so I come and sit at 515 and I amen it. But I walk right out the door and cease to let it level the way that I think. And level the way that I live. And until we take that simple step, the framing is not going to happen. And the dream life is not going to appear. But praise be to God that on any day, anybody can start again. On any day, anybody can start all over. And on any day, God will roll in a palette of truth and start stapling it and nailing it into the very fabric of our lives, beginning with how we think and how we see and what we process and how we live.